us to seek the knowledge. So if we don't know those things, it's because we haven't taken the time or the research to try to figure those things out. So we all forget and we all get off track. And even in the Bible, there were examples of people who got off track a little bit or who didn't know who they were. So we're going to start with Saul being Paul. His identity was full of cruel and hate, but when his name was changed and he came face to face with God, who questioned him about his identity, he became more than that. We're going to go to Acts um, 9, 4 through 6. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So God told him, and immediately he was able to find out who he was. It's not a long thing. Once God tells you what you are and who you are, you're able to quickly be balanced and to be even and to understand who you are. So from that moment, Saul changed his direction. He was transformed, and he began to embrace his new identity. And not only did God transform him and give him a new identity, but he gave him a new name. And Paul, instead of being defined by evil, he became defined by God's word. His works and his writings can now be classified as the true biblical hero with identity furnished plainly in Jesus because he answered the question of God. I asked you today, are you going to answer the questions of God? Do you know who you are? So we found out who Paul was, but now who are you? The first one we're going to go to is you are chosen. John 5, 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Loved, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting said, life. who am I? I am chosen. I am loved. I am forgiven. Ephesians 1 and 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I am a work in progress. Philippians 1.6. Amen. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Staying, stick with me. I am enough. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Amen. And lastly, I am called. Romans 6 and 4. 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. I am chosen. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am a work in progress. God isn't done with me. Have some grace with me. Have some mercy on me. God is not done with me. I am enough. Oftentimes we feel inadequate. We feel like we can't make it. We feel like maybe I'm not doing. You are enough. Called. You are called by God. God called you and therefore he will equip you. The Christ in you, how to operate in Christ. I said it's a little teaching showing you. I know you know these scriptures. They sound familiar. I know John 3.16. But did you know John 3.16 will carry you through when you feel unloved? I know Ephesians 1, 17, but did you know it will carry you through when you are, that you are forgiven? Well, sometimes we can quote the scriptures, but we have to apply them to our hearts and to the table of our lives. How to operate in Christ and the power of his word. The more you get to know Jesus through his word and his time and prayer, and the more you understand your identity in him, the more you'll be able to identify that in every area of your life. Because then the power of the Holy Spirit can come in. If you don't know how to operate in him, then you can't expect his power to work in and through your life. And you can't expect his power to work in and through your life if you don't know the word of God. How do I operate? Because coming in on Sunday, listening to the lives on Wednesday, maybe dropping in here and there is not how we're going to operate and how we're going to be able to stay. This world is all cold. This world is cruel. And it's going to take more than you memorizing a couple of verses I teach you today for you to be able to stay, to sustain. So secondly, you have to not only operate in him, but trust who he is. After you find out who you are, then you can trust who he created you to be. You can trust and commit to something, or you can't trust or commit to something or someone until you know all about it. Someone may ask you, hey, what are you doing today? Now, when somebody asks me that, I have to stop for a minute because I'm knowing that the next thing they're going to ask me to do something. So I have to take a breath. And say, okay, they're going to ask me, let me think about what I have to do and do I have time for that. But to be able to trust someone, you have to be able to lean on them. You have to be able to know their next movements. So when you trust someone, when I trust Andre, I know that he's going to say he wants this. When we go to a restaurant, I know what he's going to order to drink. I may not know what he wants to eat because he changes his mind. But I, all, all, I know where he wants to sit. I know where he wants to park. Why? Because I trust him. And because I trust him, I know him. So to know God is to trust him. You say, Devin, trust. Well, I have the faith. Well, faith and trust are two different things. So we have to have faith in him, but we have to be able to trust him. Trust him is saying, hey, I'll fall back on you, God. God, I'll lean on you. God, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to come out of this, but I trust you. Now, even though we, we're not, we may not feel that, we may be 50% trust, 50% not. But it's the fact that we made up in our minds, I will to will the will of Christ. We often talk about who we are. Well, I just went through, we're chosen, we're loved, we're forgiven. But this summer I was able to see who God is and the I am's of God. So let's journey a little bit through the I am's of God. The first I am of God is I am the bread of life. Now we oftentimes wonder what kind of is the bread of life. But make no mistake, God fed the 5,000 with bread and two fish. What's unique about that is then he had him pack everything up in Tupperware. He didn't leave it for the birds to eat or the animals, or he didn't give each one of them a to-go box, but he knew they would need that for the journey. 
So he packed that up. So when God tells you he's the bread of life, he's not talking about the natural food that you eat because he's already done that. That was already a miracle. He's talking about the spiritual bread that you need to survive every day. It's no mistake that he compares the bread here because he fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves. But even today, seeing that incredible miracle and the scarceness of how food was back in that day, you might say, oh, he fed them. They could have went, but they would not have survived. They would have died without that. Jesus had something more in store for them, and they didn't even know. And that is just how he is with you and me. He has something more in store for your life. He has something more in store for your finances. He has something, and we don't just say that. I really mean it. And I'm a testimony that he does, and he can do it. Amen? Amen. He, he knows that that physical food would have been temporary, but what he wants to offer you today is something eternal. I am the bread of life. That is John 3, John 6 and 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Miss Mitchell read that, but do you believe it? Do you believe that if, I, if you trust in him, if you lean on him, if you give all to him, that you'll never hunger and thirst spiritually? I am the light of the world. Now, we already heard what we are, but God is telling you what he is. He's the light of the world. Today, we can walk in and flip on a switch. We have the faith that when we flip on the switch, we pay the bill and the light is coming on. But when they were wandering in the wilderness and when they were taking these journeys, it was pitch black. And so they had to stop, not because they were tired, not because they were hungry. They had to stop because they could not see. So for him to say, I'm the light of the world, that was magnificent to them. And if you understand where I'm going with this is that those little, what we call Bible stories, are stories to us. But to them, they were miraculous miracles. That is John 8 and 12. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I think the men wanted you to hear that one more time. Do we have John 8 and 12? All right, I will read that. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is showing them again that their light is a guiding force through this world that is cruel and cold. And by that darkness, this, the world takes an unapologetic view. So sometimes you, we tell our kids, those people don't care about you. They're not worried about you. That's sometimes what you have to think of when you think of the world. They're unapologetic. They're going to do what suits them. You ever had that friend that y'all together until something happens? Y'all together, you're you ride and die until she gets pushed up against a block, and then she's not? Jesus says, I am a big deal. Yeah. Amen. The last I am, I am the gate for the sheep, John 10, 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now the shepherd's role was to guide and protect the sheep. And they had a pen that they kept the sheep in, but the pen didn't have a gate on it. So as the sheep would come in, they would check them and if they needed to be mended or if they were hurt or if they, there was something wrong with them, they made sure they fixed it before they came in. And then after they were in, the shepherd laid in the middle as a gate so that the sheep couldn't get out so that he could have some sleep. So when God says he is the gate for the sheep, 
he is telling you that, first of all, he's going to check you every time you come into his presence. He's going to check your wounds. He's going to check your feelings. He's going to check your hurts. He's going to have compassion and grace and mercy on you. And not only that, but he's going to lay down humbly beside you, lay in the gate so that you can, so that you'll be protected throughout the night. Similarly, those roles of religious leaders of Jesus, rather than protecting, they were taking advantage of their flock and their people. So Jesus used this statement to show them the error in their ways. To fully understand the gate, we need to understand that the shepherd's job was one in a million. It was not often that people were able to be shepherds because first they couldn't stay up in the night to watch the sheep. And oftentimes they would lose them. So when they would come back in the morning and look for the sheep, they would be gone. So to know that God is my gate for the sheep is once again amazing. Now, I said all that to build on something. And what I want to get into today is setting boundaries. And I know sometimes people frown upon that and they say, you know, maybe you shouldn't set boundaries. You're going to offend someone if you set a boundary. But my peace is so important. And why is it so important? It's so important because it is the peace of God that passes understanding. And we could spend a long time talking about that. I I do have some time today. So we could spend some time talking about that. Because God's peace is more than the peace that I can give you. God's peace is the more that a ring can give you. God's peace is the more that a medal or money can give you. There's something about when you're able to have that peace of God. And I was talking to someone the other day and I was explaining to them that peace is temporary. So that we need to constantly ask him for that. Today I can ask him for his peace and then another hour later I need to ask him for a peace again. But he's able to do that. We serve a true and a living God who says, okay, she needs peace. Go ahead and give it to her. She needs peace. Go ahead and give it to her. I see her struggling. Go ahead and give her peace. Because it passes the human understanding, meaning there's nothing I can do because it's just not like his peace. Now I can help you out, yeah. But when he gives that peace, there's the suddenty that comes over you. There's a healing that comes over you. There's a warmth that comes over you when you have the peace of God. So setting boundaries, if it gives me that kind of peace, then I'm all for it. Not only do we need to set boundaries, but God has set some boundaries. And I may be getting ahead of myself. If so, that's okay. Setting boundaries from peace. Just because you set a boundary doesn't mean you're not going to be busy. So setting boundary doesn't have to do with your schedule. You can set many, many boundaries, tell many people no, tell many people you can't, and you still be busy. But what defines that is your personal boundary. So we'll start there. Personal boundaries are like property lines. There's some lines you just can't cross. So when you're cutting your grass in your field, there's no reason for you to cut the grass in somebody else's. But sometimes it happens, and it's very noticeable. And that is why we need to set boundaries. Because if not, you can tell. Let's say I cut my grass and the person cuts theirs and it's lower. You're going to be able to tell. She comes over too far. You're going to be able to tell. Why? Because it's not fulfilled. Why? Because that wasn't the boundary that was laid. And when you do that, that creates a distraction. And distractions block peace. So when you want to set a personal boundary, what do I want to set a personal boundary? Whatever is blocking you from life. Whatever is blocking you from achieving your goals, you want to set a personal boundary so that you don't have those distractions, those stumbling blocks. And what is setting a personal boundary? Setting a personal boundary is that I value this. This is what I'm good at. This is what I believe in. This is what I need. 
And then on the flip side, it's saying, this is not me. So if this is not me, I'm setting a boundary there. This is not me. I'm setting a boundary that I can't be on Facebook. Some people just can't be on Facebook, and that's fine. Social media is not a requirement for life. It is definitely a highlight reel. Now, a lot of times I post things that are highlights, but I know people who only post highlights. So I tell my kids all the time, you can look at Facebook, you can stroll through social media, but figure that like you watch a basketball game. That's a highlight reel. That's a highlight reel. So don't compare yourself. Don't challenge yourself to those things because you don't know what that person did to get there. And to be honest, we have a lot of um, filters, I'll call them. So we don't know if that's even what the person has. Can we be honest and say that? We don't even know that. So when you're setting those boundaries, you need to say, what do I value? What is it that, do I value my personal time? Do I value my money? What is it that I value that'll help me set this boundary? To know yourself and be secure that you are loved is essential to these relationships and activities. Some people may frown upon your boundaries at first, but encourage them and let them know, if I tweak my boundaries and if I set my boundaries, I'm going to have a greater capacity to help you. If I free up myself a little bit, if my mind is at peace, then when you need me, I'm going to be able there to, I'm going to be there to help you with empathy and love. And if they can honor that, if they love and honor you, then they'll let you enjoy your peace. They'll let you set your boundaries. Sometimes people ask me for things and they kind of tease me because I do say it often. I say, let me be your last resort. You need $5. I'm happy you call me first. But let me be your last resort because right now I have a goal in mind. Right now, I'm trying to pay off my car. Right now, I'm trying to make sure that my kids have what they need when they need it for college. So make me your last resort. No, I'm not being mean. No, I'm not being cruel. Yes, I'm still a child of God. Yes, I'm still saved. But right now, I'm setting a personal boundary. And if you can't respect that, then maybe you shouldn't ask me again because that's right now. Now, this is just a season right now, but that's my answer. So I'm setting a personal boundary. You have to remind those around you that I'm building myself up so that we can all help and have a stable foundation to operate from. If your foundation isn't stable, then we all gonna fall. So why not build that sound foundation? We read several times after the personal needs where God had set boundaries. You said, what? God set boundaries? He sure did. God set boundaries. Amen. We read several times where he rested. He knew his body needed the rest, so he stopped what he was doing even when he was in front of the multitude and took the rest. Amen. Can we bring up the next one? Relationships. God set boundaries in his relationships. Matthew 26, 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here. And watch with me. He told them to watch with him. He received the support of friends and he sought their company to watch with them. Amen. Amen. The next boundary God had. 
was alone time, which I mentioned before. There, he took several times to be alone in solitude. He withdrew from the crowds, even though they were great, and he would be able to speak to them and preach for them. But he withdrew from those crowds. We talk about how he went up on mountains and he secluded himself to get his alone time with God because he knew he needed to enjoy the moment with his creator before he enjoyed the moment with his people. Pace. God always had a pace. He was never in a hurry except when he went to Jerusalem and when he embraced his cross. Something which listened, something we, we should also follow him and listen to him is pace. So what is your pace in life? You have your alone time with God, but what is your pace? Can you take a moment and pace yourself and wait for him? When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So he didn't rush off, even though he knew he was sick. Even the story of Lazarus, he didn't rush off. He took his time because he knew the end. He knew he was going to get there. He had the peace that he was going to make it. So he took his time. Amen. Amen. How can we set boundaries? We saw that we, we must follow Christ. And so as he set boundaries, we must set boundaries. Our first boundary is prayer. Matthew 6 and 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now it says, when thou pray, enter into your room and close the door. It didn't say as you're jumping in the car to go to work, give God that five-minute prayer. It didn't say as you're really, really sleepy and you're trying to get in the bed at night to give them him them two, those two minutes. So you make a point, hey, this is the time I'm going to pray. This is what I'm going to pray about. And then I'm going to find some time to be quiet amongst him and listen and see, and feel, and understand, amen, the personal prayer time. That is how we're going to set our boundary, by making a personal prayer time. Next, we are going to be direct. Do we have that Matthew 5, 37? But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for, whoso, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now, I pick on my husband all the time about this because the kids will ask him something and he'll say, I don't know, or I'll check later. Or, no, tell them no. Tell them no. And then if we decide to later, we'll do it and it'll be a surprise. Or if we decide to later, then it'll be a, a gift to them. But let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Someone is asking you, can you do something on Wednesday at 6? No. I have Bible study. Unless you're coming with me. Now, if you want to come with me and we do it after, then yes. Can you come with me, eat breakfast with me Sunday at 11? Well, there's a lot of places open after 11. So if you want to eat breakfast with me Sunday, it's going to have to be after church. I pray at 5 o'clock in the morning. At 5 o'clock in the morning, can I call you and you counsel me? No. That is my personal time with Christ. Not that you have to explain yourself to people, but it is often nice to, to let them know why, that you're not just being mean, but you have set boundaries. And those boundaries are going to enable you to help other people, including them. So be direct. Can, I, can we say that? Be direct. be direct. 
obey, listen, obey, and help. It's important that we do those things in that order so that we listen first, then we obey, and then we seek help. You said, why did you say seek help? Because sometimes you may have to find someone else to seek that help with. You're, you're trying to obey God, but you might, you might just need that. I'm reminded of the story um, in the Bible, it's two, two sons, and the first son, God, uh, the, the first son, the father told him to go. He said he wanted him to work in the vineyard. And so the man said, yes, father, I'll do it. He asked the second, he said, can you go work in the vineyard? He said, no. But how many know the first one went ahead and did it? And God, he respected the first one who went ahead and did it. He went and he saw that he had not changed, he had changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He said, I will, but he did not go. Which of the two do you think his father wanted to work in his vineyard? He, even though the one changed his mind, he obeyed and he went. There is joy in successfully and politely setting boundaries. There is peace in successfully and politely setting boundaries. Boundaries is something our God did, so why not follow after the living and the true God and do some things that he did? You may say, I I'm having trouble in this area, but if you obey God and you listen to his voice and you calm yourself, I mean, you know, sometimes we are all over the place and we're wild and we're doing this and we're saying that and we're signing up for this. There's a time where you just have to be calm before the presence of God. I say a lot of times also as we're setting boundaries, we have to watch what we listen to and who talks to us and what they say, because those boundaries can oftentimes be gray areas. So we have to make sure that we follow them. We also have to make sure that people aren't making demands of us. They aren't abusing us. They're not asking us baiting questions. They're not being prideful. They're not manipulating us. And they're not doing those things out of entitlement. And what do I mean by that? Uh, let me do it because that's my brother. Or I have to do it because that's my sister or that's my blood. That is, that is manipulating out of entitlement. And we don't have to stand for that. Because we are seeking out the peace that passes all understanding. And in order to get that great peace, we have to have the relationship with God. Amen? Amen. As we go through the IMs and we see what he is and how he is, we know that we have to set those boundaries. And those boundaries are things that happen in our natural life. They're going to happen. So that we need to be aware. Why am I saying this? So you can get a step ahead. It's about to be Thanksgiving. It's about to be Christmas. It's about to be New Year's. All those things come right back, 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 back. And by January, you're wore out. You're tired. You're walking with a limp. You're just, you're so, after all that, no, we're going to set boundaries. We're not going to go into debt. We're not going to feel like we have to do this. There are some things that you just have to say no to. But as you're saying no to things or people or jobs, make sure you're saying yes to God. Make sure you're saying, God, I understand. God, I understand that I need you and that I cannot do anything without you. So why am I saying all that? I'm saying you know the Christ in you. You know who you are. Now you have to walk in that. You have to walk that you are a new creature, like Sister Ruthie said, that you are saved by grace. God went to the cross by grace. 
Your sins are already forgiven. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. You don't need to come in church. It's gonna, the smoke's going to come when you walk through the door. None of that. You're here for a reason. I always say there's a church on every block in Muncie. Some open, some close. So you didn't have to come here. But you didn't come here by mistake. You didn't come here because your family was here. You didn't come here because you pay your tithes. You're here for a reason. We need to stop thinking that things happen by coincidence and understand they happen under the regulation and the instruction of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. It wasn't a coincidence that Andre got called away this weekend. It wasn't a coincidence that he was able to go. We, everything is done decently and in order by Christ Jesus. Where do we get in the mix there? When we don't lean on him and offer him our greatest and offer him our best. You may say, Devin, that's a lot. You've asked me to do a lot. You asked me to set boundaries. You asked me to know who I am in Christ. You asked me to have a new identity and to understand. But with God, all things are possible. With God, you can make it. With God, he is your gatekeeper. He, he knows all things in abounds. Amen? Amen. We can stand. And oftentimes we, we don't lay hands here. We don't have um, the official line. But anytime you want to come up and you need prayer for a specific reason, which you know the altar is always open for you to do that. There's no pressure. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, you're missing out. You are missing out. You are missing out on what God has for your life. Of course, he always gives grace and mercy and understanding and all that. But it's great when you can say, I'm his and he is mine. There's a lot of pressure in the world. We talk about people want things so fast. There's microwaves. There's pressure cookies. We want things so fast. But like I said, sometimes you have to just sit in the stillness of God. Oftentimes, I can't listen to music. I was telling someone else the other day, um, someone introduced me to to a song that said, I'll walk on water. And I said, wait, I'm not, let me not sing that just quite yet. Because I'm not ready to walk on the water yet, God. Let me build myself up. Let me set some boundaries. Let's, let's pay attention to what we're singing and what we're saying because I'm not ready for that yet. And I know I have a relationship with God where I can talk to him like that. So get a relationship with God where I can, you can talk to him like that. You may say, I've been saved 30 years. Get a relationship with God where you can talk to him like that. So I hope you were able to see as I compare Jesus' identity with your identity because we are to walk in him and to walk in Christ. God, we thank you for today and we thank you that, that we are not in an identity crisis. God, we know who we are and we know who you are. And we're asking you to just manifest that right here in Deliverance Temple. Father, each one that has come out today and has listened to this word, that they be able to apply it to their lives. Father, I know you were taking me through the journey of identity, but you were wanting them to set boundaries in their lives so they can be fruitful. You were wanting them to set boundaries in their lives to honor you and to glorify you. God, we thank you for everything you've done. God, most importantly, we thank you for being in our right minds this morning, God, where we'd be able to acknowledge you and praise you and thank you without the fear. God, if there's anyone in here who can hear my voice and they are not saved, Father, I ask you to arrest them in their spirit. 
Father, don't let them rest until they get the peace from you. Father, shake them. Father, let them know that you care. And then after all that, Father, wrap your arms around them like only you can. You can love them and comfort them. And God, if there's anyone who is sick here, Father, we speak the healing. We speak healing to their body, Father. If anyone is struggling with an addiction, Father, we know that we can be addicted to many things, Father. But you are the one who is able to, to take that addiction from us, Father. It doesn't have to be years. It doesn't have to be months, Father. But that if we truly lean on you and ask you to take that, Father, that you will take that from us. And God, whatever else is, is on the hearts of the minds of your people, Father, we ask that you just, God, encompass that. And you, you deal with them, Father, like only you can. And we ask that you do that in love. And we ask that you meet us back here the next time we are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.